0: Life Audio. Hello and welcome to the Capital Ministries podcast. At Capital Ministries, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the political arena throughout the world, and we do this through weekly in-depth discipleship Bible studies. I'm Frank Sontag, and I look forward to sharing these Bible studies written by my friend, Ralph Drawlinger. As president and founder of Capital Ministries, Ralph is teaching the same study to three different groups in DC this week. He holds a House members Bible study, a Senate members Bible study, and a Zoom study with former White House cabinet members. In this week's study titled Countering America's Establishment Revolution, you, believers in government, Stand in the way of the cultural takeover of our nation. The book of Joshua provides God's example of leadership under fire for you who are on the front lines. Before we get started, let us hear a word from our sponsor. This Capital Ministries Bible study from President and Founder Ralph Drawlinger is entitled Countering America's Establishment Revolution. Victor Davis Hanson has appropriately titled and coined the term Establishment Revolution to describe the cultural wars we are now battling on all fronts in America. He notes that today's insurrection is not like the 60s hippie revolution of sorts, which was a bottom-up kind of revolt. Instead, this is a top-down revolution, a committed assault on our historical, biblical values propelled by a zealous mission to replace them with a woke ideology that is being thrust upon citizens. It is the establishment against we the people, Hansen said. Woke ideology is both anti-American and violates the U.S. Constitution. Its proponents oppose free speech. Hansen says America has found herself entrenched in an all-out establishment revolution, wherein the leaders of five of the seven hills of influence are forcing their wokeness on much of the population who are not woke, but biblical in their morality and worldview. I believe Hansen's analysis and titling are right on. And the only way to combat the aberrant lifestyles and ideologies being forced upon the opposing majority is with the gospel. The only way to combat this top-down evil influence is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ right to those individuals who are propagating a new, but heinous morality, a morality that is not based in biblical revelation. It follows that you cannot expect someone who rejects the author of Scripture to accept the precepts of his book. The hills of media, education, entertainment, sports, and now most recently commerce are increasingly well-baked in terms of a growing number. The vast majority of their leaders promulgating a secular ideology. All of them simultaneously display anti-Christian values, mock biblical principles, and attempt to drive the believers out of them. But the jury is not out as it relates to one of the seven hills of influence, civil government. This hill of influence is still up for grabs, And it is the most influential of them all. It follows that evangelizing and discipling civil government leaders in Christ, imparting to them a Christian worldview at every level of their career path, is of the utmost and critical importance. I strongly believe that if the civil government hill of influence is lost, that our nation will be irreparably damaged, and apart from a revival. It will not be capable of resuscitation. If we lose civil government to top-down woke secularism, the cultural battle will be over, and the remaining hill of influence, the church, will experience persecution like never before in the history of the country. The noisy and well-positioned minority pushing this woke agenda will have won the establishment revolution. The biblically-based majority population will have lost. You, believers in government, stand in the way of the cultural takeover of our nation. The book of Joshua provides God's example of leadership under fire for you who are on the front lines. Our introduction. The book of Joshua is a wonderful study with great applications for those tasked with precepts representing God's principles in civil government. As America is increasingly crumbling in most every way all around us, it is up to those who know God, those whom He has put in office, To identify the cultural front battle lines, protect America from a debauched, aberrant woke morality, and fight with great boldness and courage to preserve our nation's historical, biblical basis. The pressure is on. You, the believers in government, are the ones on the front lines of the battle. What I can do best to help you is to encourage you to be strong and courageous. And how better to do that? than to provide you with a fresh look at the book of Joshua, a man appointed by God to a similar kind of mission that would require his utmost. How did he go about what seemed to be an impossible mission? How did he win? Study this overview in the book of Joshua itself on your own. I guarantee that it will encourage and embolden you who are in the trenches and who will determine the ultimate outcome of the establishment revolution. Keep in mind, Joshua too was tasked with overcoming the establishment. Name Following the Torah, also known as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament are twelve historical books. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible and the first of the historical book section. The name of the book is derived from its central figure, the heroic warrior Joshua. His Hebrew name is the equivalent of the Greek name Jesus and both names mean the Lord is salvation. In that God was the saving commander who led Israel in her initially victorious conquest of the promised land, cross-reference Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and in that he used Joshua to lead this conquest, Joshua's name is both appropriate and descriptive. Cross-reference chapter 5, verse 14, through chapter 6, verse 2, 10, 42, 23, 3, 5, and Acts 7.45. Joshua was the understudy of Moses, who tutored Joshua to one day take his place. In a seamless, selfless, submissive-to-God succession, Moses commissioned his protege to take the spot the more seasoned leader had held for so long. Numbers 27.15-20 says in this regard, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who will go out and come in before them, and who will lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep, which have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is in the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest and before all of the congregation, and commission him in their sight." You shall put some of your authority on him in order that all the congregation of the sons of Israel may obey him. Born in Egyptian slavery, Joshua survived Israel's wanderings in the wilderness and was 90 years old before taking leadership, chapter 24, verse 29. His most noteworthy characteristics are his unswerving loyalty in serving the Lord, Numbers thirty-two, twelve, and his tenacity as a persevering, conquering soldier, Exodus 17, 9 through 13. Author. Most notable commentators believe the author of the book was Joshua, in that he was an eyewitness of most of the events therein recorded. Cross-reference chapter 18, verse 9, except for his death in the last chapter, 24. This portion could have been added by one of his understudies or Eleazar the high priest or his son Phineas. The date of its writing is circa 1405 through 1385 BC. Chapters 1 through 12 address the conquering of the land, and chapters 13 through 24 focus on the division of the land. Background. Because of Israel's disobedience, God told the Israelites they would not see the promised land, so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. When that generation died, a new generation inherited God's original promise to Abraham of a land, a seed, and a blessing, in Genesis 12:1 through 3. The inhabitants of the land were varying tribal descendants of Ham, a people who had degenerated into debauchery, a civilization likened to the one prior to the flood. Even so, God was patient. Genesis 15, verse 16b says, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In narrative view is the principle of Romans 2 four illumined. It says, For do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God had been abundantly long-suffering with the Canaanites, the Amorite people, a tribal descendant of Ham, but in the end his tolerance ran out. Their worship of many gods in combination with moral decline gave way to his wrath. Joshua's invasion, properly understood, is a mediatorial manifestation of God's vindication of and over sin. Leviticus 18 verses 24 through 25 reads, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things. For by all these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. God was about to vomit out a people steeped in iniquity. Parallel to Romans 13:1 through 8 in the church age, Old Testament Israel was to be God's instrument of corporate and corporal punishment his mediatorial manifestation over and in response to sin. To lead the new generation of Israelites on and into this God-given mission was, to say the least, a huge undertaking, responsibility, and burden, one which Joshua would have to rise to the occasion to achieve. Apart from God's empowerment, Joshua's mission was much like your mission in a rapidly declining America. Joshua's mission was Mission Impossible. And God didn't add, should you decide to accept it. So it is with you in combating America's slide into a debauched, aberrant, woke morality. Specific to Joshua, he was to overcome all the Canaanites and then divide up the land among the eleven tribes, dispersing the Levites evenly throughout. This command would be no easy task for the last. 20 years of his life. Nonetheless, he devoted himself to his calling with unfaltering loyalty to God. What similar character does God require of you in a declining America? Now let us gain a better overall understanding of the book to aid you in pertinent applications. Application to Governing Authorities. Joshua was a man's man. Strong physically, mentally, and spiritually. In every way, he was the opposite of a silver-spooned, softy elitist. He was a warrior, a military man, if you will, more so than a political leader. In chapter 1, Jehovah God, given Joshua's assigned mission, commands him no less than four times to be strong and courageous. I will note all four passages so you can better get a feel for the significance of the redundancy which serves to spell the importance of what God is trying to communicate to His called to lead in this task person. Joshua 1.6 Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua 1.7 Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. Joshua 1:9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua 1:18. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. What do you suppose God is trying to say here to Joshua? and to you who are in the heat of battle. God further encourages him by saying, Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you, 1, verse 5b. This promise to Joshua is a promise to you as well, Hebrews thirteen five. Take heart in these passages, memorize and meditate frequently on them, given your assignment by God to be on the front lines of the establishment revolution battle. Like the task set before Joshua, relative to a land gone awry, so is the task of every governing official in our nation who is called by God to turn America around. This quest is not for weak men, nor is it a mission that can be accomplished in a matter of months or years. Nor is it a battle for you to engage in alone. God has called other believers into office to team with you. Are you a lone fighter, or do you team with your fellow colleagues? Joshua was faithful, vigilant, and persevering for 20 years. How about you? How did Joshua keep his strength and his focus for such a long time? The answer is the key verse of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, cross-reference, chapter 24, verse 24. It states, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on a day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. How are your Bible study habits? Believers must develop and persevere in the elementary disciplines of daily in-depth, serious Bible study, and a devout time of prayer and meditation on His Word. This is no time for spiritual novices— who do not put on the full armor of God in the daily battles you face. Cross-reference Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. It is an essential habit if you are going to remain effective for God's purposes over a long period of time, such as directly proportional to your staying power. Learning and applying Scripture is central to the overall vigilance, perseverance, and success of all servants of God. Herein is perhaps the greatest take-home application of the book. Joshua 1 verse 9b reveals the source of strength for the journey and singularly explains how and why Joshua ended well in a world where many falter in the later years of their careers. God commands Joshua and every God-appointed leader in our nation today, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Read through this book several times in the coming weeks. Ask God to speak to your heart through the life of one of his choicest servants. May God give us many leaders like Joshua in our government, and may you be counted among them. Challenging passages. This book poses several interpretive challenges that may come to mind as you study it on your own. The following are some explanations to consider A. The various miracles at least 5 supernatural events occur in the book if one holds to the fact that god created the heavens and the earth genesis 1:1 then believing in ensuing miracles is not inordinate it follows that if one is trusting his salvation in jesus who claims to be the creator colossians 1:16 the root word for created appears 33 times in the new testament and the performer of many miracles then following accounts of miracles should not prove incongruous to your faith. Miracles were a manifest part of God's purposes throughout biblical history. Number one, holding back the Jordan waters. Chapter three, verses seven through 17. God dammed up the waters of the Jordan near a city called Adam, 15 miles to the north. Once the crossing was completed, he allowed the water to flow again. This is a book bookend miracle to the Red Sea crossing in Exodus 14. The way in which this part of Israel's history opens, the Exodus, is the same way it closes as Israel crosses to the Promised Land. Number two, the fall of Jericho's walls. Chapter six, verses one through 27. This city had an outer wall and inner wall. Plus, it was built on a steep hillside, making its conquest almost impossible apart from a siege. This off-the-wall, meant as a double-entendre military strategy, gave occasion for Israel to trust in God's promises and serve to give Him all the glory in the minds of the conquerors. Number three, the giant hailstones. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. These miraculous balls of ice were large enough to kill those whom they struck. Notice that they hid only the enemy, and were a greater force for victory than the swords of the israelites again assuring that the glory for victory belongs to the lord number 4 the long day chapter 10 verses 12 through 15 in the middle of a prolonged battle in order to ensure victory over the amorites joshua led by the lord commanded the sun to stand still This account is best taken as a literal miracle because other portions of the passage would not make sense if it were interpreted metaphorically. Cross-reference, chapter 10, verse 14. Again, the battle belongs to the Lord. Cross-reference, Proverbs 21, verse 31. And number five, the swarming hornets. Chapter 24, verse 12. There is division among conservative commentators as to if this passage is metaphoric or literal in its language. I take it to be literal in the sense of a parallel to the hailstorms or the earlier various physical plagues God visited on Pharaoh in Exodus, so as to achieve his will in and by physical aid to Israel. Exodus chapter 23 verses 27 through 28 provides cogent added insight. This force of God described as hornets would make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Can you imagine how advantageous it would be if your opponents were being swarmed by hornets while in the heat of battle? Take note that as you are obedient to your calling and as you are strong and courageous, look for God to aid you in ways totally unexpected as you fight against the forces of wickedness and evil in our nation today. Remember Hebrews 11:16 says without faith it is impossible to please him for the one who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him b blessing a lying harlot chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 rahab lied to the leaders of jericho in order to conceal the hebrew spies yet she is listed in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, verse 31. In that lying is a sin, Exodus 20, verse 16, and there is always a better way than lying to achieve the perfect will of God, the intention of this narrative passage permits the reader to glimpse again the fallen nature of man. Rahab's inclusion in Hebrews 11 vividly portrays the truth of the principle of First John 1, 9. It says If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rahab undoubtedly confessed her lack of faith and her sin later, reconciling failure in practice with position in Christ Cross reference Colossians two hundred ten, John one sixteen, and Ephesians chapter one verse three. The point here is that God is gracious and forgiving. All those listed in Hebrews 11 are sinners who have been, are, and will be forgiven by God due to the finished work of Christ on their behalf. It is no different for you or me. Do not let your past failures in any way deter your future successes. Note how the Apostle Paul dealt with his past failures. Remember, he murdered believers. Per his own testimony in Philippians 3.13, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Do you discipline yourself to believe what 1 John 1.9 says is true about you? Or do you allow the accuser to riddle you with guilt to the point you are paralyzed in the battle before you? See the failure at I, Chapter 7 verses 1 through 15. God states in 7.12 related to Israel's, Achan's, theft and deception, Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies, for they have become accursed. The failure at I serves to illustrate the antithesis to the promise God gave Joshua in chapter 1, verse 8, further illustrating the point being made previously, their unconfessed internal sinful failures greatly inhibited their usefulness to God relative to His external assignment for them. D. The Execution of Achan's Family, chapter 7, verses 10 through 26. God is not unjust. They were all co-conspirators. Our Summary The book of Joshua is a captivating, powerful, and very applicable historical book of the Old Testament. It serves of give the public servant of today insights into the mind of God relative to his desire to quell evil in a fallen world and how he intends his ambassadors, cross-reference 1 Corinthians 5.20, his called-out ones to achieve such a mission. Further, the book serves to buoy the believer in the same calling as to how to maintain being emboldened for such a task. The New Testament Book of Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, and First Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, reveal the present-day parallels and meanings for bringing the principles of the book of Joshua forward into the church age. These same Old Testament principles illustrated in this book parallel what Paul said are the principles of civil government today. In Romans 13:4, we are told that civil government implying the leaders of civil government in a corporate sense, do not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. It follows that today's public servants are to stand on godly principles for the betterment of a nation. May that be said of you as you fight to quell the establishment revolution going on all around us. Friends, I encourage you to find more studies like this one on the Capitol Ministries website, which is capmin.org. There you can also learn about in-depth weekly discipleship Bible studies taking place in capitals throughout our nation and around the world. You may be called to lead such studies with public servants in your community. Thanks to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. Here at lifeaudio.com, you will also find more faith-centered podcasts. This concludes our Bible study for this week. May God bless you deeply. Thank you for all you do in our great country. And on the Hill, this is Frank Sontag.